A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 111 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here, let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman, and with me like that warm feeling you get when you read a great Star Wars book, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey everybody, uh, happy Valentine's Day I suppose, I guess that's around the time this episode should be coming out, so hopefully you're uh, uh, enjoying some time either uh, contemplative on self-worth in a good way, or uh, sitting around, you know, trying to do right by your uh, uh, your significant other. Though if you've done like uh, like my wife and I did, and that is uh, doing the Her Universe uh, Rebel Symbol I Love You, I Know necklace, uh, be careful because the I Love You piece has already fallen off of mine once. Um, it's a very, very thin uh, metal thing that's got the little balls on it, whatever you want to call it, that holds everything together. And it's very easy for the little ring attached to that half of the rebel symbol to be open just wide enough to fall off. It's not likely, but it's, it is possible. So uh, happy Valentine's Day, but if you did the Her Universe thing, be careful. Have you guys done any Her Universe stuff, by the way? That's what we're planning on doing, too. We're waiting for our taxes, which should be back tomorrow, hopefully. And I'll get a new computer and have some new things that we've planned out. But that was one of them. We were looking at that one to get it. Uh, but it sounds like it's the jump ring that's uh, not so hot, huh? <laughs> I guess that's what it is. I just I would say, at the risk of annoying the Her Universe folks, um, honestly, Her Universe stuff has some very cool styles. But I would say that of the clothing I bought from there for my wife... Uh, at least half of it has started to fall apart within six months. One oh. jacket that I bought was falling apart by the second time it was being washed. So something's up. Um, awesome designs, but I got to kind of scratch my head as to the, the production process. And maybe we're just very unlucky in that regard. Maybe there's other issues. But um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool necklace. It's very cool. It's, what, it's our, uh, our way of sort of uh, doing something for each other without either of us going extravagant so we can keep the costs and everything very, very low. Well, me and my wife are always teasing with that back and forth. You know, it's either that or the old uh, ghost ditto, you know, depending on the mood of the day. But for the most part, it's always Han, I love you. And I know. <laughs> All right. So this episode, we've got a lot of feedback, so we should probably just dive straight into it, I suppose. Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we turn once again to you Beyonders. This week, your feedback is center stage. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders, sentience of all ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. 
and just bear in mind there is so much of this feedback that we won't necessarily have a chance to respond in great detail to each one. We want to make sure as many people's ideas get in here, and uh, we did have sort of a bombshell or nuclear bomb casing um, in one of that uh, is going to show up at the very very end of the episode, which kind of makes us wonder if that is where most of the feedback to the feedback will be coming. We start out with one from Ben Hauer on Facebook uh, regarding the hundredth episode. Ben Hauer says. Hey guys, congrats on 100 episodes. Your latest show certainly kept up the quality we've come to expect, and even clocking in around three hours, it flew by. You both made excellent points in your State of the EU slash continuity addresses and said some things that I've considered myself but had yet to hear anyone else articulate. I also want to echo all the fan appreciation for what you do. You were each among my favorite podcast hosts before you started the show, so I was excited to hear nearly two years ago now that you would be starting a show together. I've been loving the show since the beginning, and your episodes are a weekly highlight for me. As someone with friends who rarely share my passion for Star Wars and have never cracked an EU book, you fill the void in my fandom that is interaction with other fans. I've started to get a bit more involved in online fandom recently, but I'm usually more of an observer than someone who actively participates. So while I may not post here often, that is, to the Facebook page, I just wanted to say thanks for what you do to strengthen our community and the joy you bring to your listeners. Keep up the fantastic podcast and may the Force be with you. P.S. Nathan, I just wanted to join in the rest of the listeners offering well wishes to yourself and your wife. I wish I could donate as well, but as a broke college student, I sadly can't. It always makes me smile to hear the community support is helping, though. And since that's all I can offer right now, that's what I'll do. Your updates are always a nice reminder of what a positive and supportive group Star Wars fans can be. I hope things continue to look up as time goes on. And Ben's right. The, fa the, the community has been fantastically supportive uh, on the whole thing. Uh, I'll be posting an update in the very near future once we get a last bit of test results and such back. Um, she has some more tests to be done or some more uh, uh, appointments on the 17th and then a couple days after that, I forget the exact day, I'd have to look at a calendar, but the 17th is her next one coming up. And uh, we know at least for now that uh, it looks like what could have been cancer was uh, part precancerous and seems like it'll be okay. Um, one thing that was was starting to become malignant, but they when they did the biopsy sample, they took the entire growth with it to make sure that if it was malignant, they wouldn't have to go back in. Um, there's a chance she may be doing some type of radiation or chemo to basically keep those at bay, but they're thinking right now they probably won't. Uh, they're going to have her check with an oncologist just to be sure, but it looks more like it's a possible risk of future cancer, but not right now, which is good. Um, we've got some things worked out as far as that enormous $12,000 bill from the first time she was in the ER. We're basically trying to set up a payment plan on that um, with the agency that the hospital goes through kind of for their collections, but not like a regular collection agent that's on your butt all the time. Um, so we're working out the details on that. Uh, she's going to find out whether any of the cysts and such are, are gone for good uh, in the near future. Um, the one thing we know for certain, though, health-wise, is that uh, she has been diagnosed, I believe it's called Barrett's esophagus or something like that. It, basically something where your esophagus is damaged due to uh, unusual amounts of acid and whatnot. So she's basically going to be taking a prescription medication for that for the rest of her life, just like I take one as a migraine preventative for the rest of mine. Um, but fortunately, it's one that basically, it's kind of just a prescription variant of something like a Prilosec OTC type of thing. So uh, for all the things it could have been so far, it seems like, yeah, it's been a pain, and yeah, it's been an ordeal, and she's going to have to change her diet and such. But the worst case scenario type of stuff seems like it's finally starting to get checked off the list as non issues. Uh, so we're hoping for better news, and maybe by the time we record uh, an episode or two from now, I'll have 
particularly good news to pass along. But uh, definitely the d donations are helping, and if you still want to, absolutely, um, you can do through me, through PayPal, Nathan at StarWarsFanWorks.com, where she does have uh, a GoFundMe page that is set up uh, where people can donate, and that I can post a link on the Facebook page again at some point when I do another update. So, yeah, great, great community support, um, and it's definitely uh, helping sort of keep our chins up. Yeah, man, we're just uh, getting to that point. Kate just had her biopsy done for the one in her throat, and uh, she's got a hiatal hernia, so she's always had throat issues as well. And, ah, uh, man, I just, having to go through it now, I'm kind of like really starting to sympathize with where you've been in the regards of being so helpless, you know? I mean, you want to talk about it and kind of know what the options are, but at the same time, you don't want to raise any of that stuff to the forefront of her mind because she's the one going through all the procedures and stuff. I mean, like I tweeted about the other day when she had it, I'm like, so I can officially say a man stabbed my wife in the throat six times and she lived. But I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, you know, based off of what they get from that determines where they're going to go as treatment. And I know it's all going to end with them cutting it out of her, but it's the how they get there that we have no idea because we don't know if it's cancer, if it's malignant, you know, all that stuff is still in that. Well, we got to wait on this one biopsy. They know it's big and they know that majority of them end up being cancerous. So my wife's like, she, she has this feeling like they're grooming her for bad news, but at the same time, it's like, well, you don't know, you know, it's like, don't, don't automatically start thinking like that, you know, but, uh, it's, it's rough. So I, I can kind of start to sympathize with where you're at as we're starting to move into it similar, you know, the community side of things though, it, it's great, you know, how the communities rally together for different things across the board, you know, uh, and, and you know, Ben, as you mentioned about, you know, not talking with other fans and stuff the community side online that's been you know the majority of the people i talk to about star wars but at the same time there are aspects of what i feel like i can and can't talk about with certain groups because you know everybody's fandom is a little different and i'm you know the big i like it all i want it all to work together kind of fan and you know there are places where i go where that opinion isn't really the most uh, favored you know and like I'll see a lot of people where they're, you know, they're commenting about, well, what we know is going to happen to the EU. And it's like, well, you know, we still don't know nothing that's going to happen to the EU. All we know, the fandom side of things is what people are speculating. And if people are coming across with the opinion that things are bad for the EU based off of what they've heard, well, all they've heard is speculation. So it's like, where are you going to get this information? Because that's, you know, where people are coming up with these ideas about it. And so I get that feeling of not wanting to, to comment too much on things. I mean, there, there's a lot of rumors and stuff going around where I try to bite my tongue because I'm just like, you know, this is just a rumor. Like, there's nothing to it yet. And yet at the same time, we've got this stuff going on with Clone Wars Season 6 where Germany knows what's coming out. They've got trailers already and we're like still sitting here. It, it's like the DVD releases where the, they're released and you still don't know what's on them. I mean, what in the hell is going on? That side of things is very frustrating. But when it comes to the support and the camaraderie, the fellowship of what it is to be in part of this fandom, you know, we're really blessed in that regard that, that most of the fans out there are very giving when it comes to their time and, you know, their opinions of things. And most are pretty lenient with understanding the, the concept of agree to disagree, which, you know, that's key. It's when you run across people that are firmly stuck in their ways and they don't want to hear anything else. It's like watching Bill Nye and Kenneth Ham go at it. Our next email comes from uh, Dom Nardi, a.k.a. the poli Jedi, who says, uh, Here's some thoughts for your feedback episode. The move to Star Wars comics back to Marvel does bother me for a few reasons. I've grown to love some of Dark Horse's work, from Dark Empire to Clone Wars to KOTOR to Dawn of the Jedi. Even if there were some misses, 
I felt like more often the company was telling great stories and taking big risks. Where the novels have felt stale for a long time, with a few exceptions, Dark Horse always seems to be thinking of something new. And so, that's why this move to Marvel frustrates me so. It'd be one thing if Disney could claim Dark Horse simply wasn't performing. If Star Wars comic sales were sluggish or Dark Horse had fallen into a rut, it'd make perfect sense to try to inject some new blood. But there hasn't been a hint that Disney took any of those factors into consideration. If Disney had a vision for the future of Star Wars comics, I could even maybe accept that. Unfortunately, this just looks like yet another instance of Disney making short-term business decisions with little regard for artistic merits or the future of the franchise. I like to think that the best thing for Disney's bottom line would be to tell the best stories, but sadly that doesn't seem to be the case. From day one with the cancellation of the Clone Wars and other decisions, Disney seems to prioritize getting all the Star Wars business under one roof rather than rewarding excellence. I'd feel a bit better maybe if we at least got some indication that Disney had a vision for Star Wars beyond money. At least something about the fate of the EU. Anyways, looking forward to hearing your thoughts. You know, one thing about the whole Disney aspect of the big business, when we found out Disney was going to get all this, I was kind of excited, you know? I mean, if anyone could pull a Lucas aspect of not being concerned with the dollar, it would be Disney with all their big, big money. But apparently... That's why they have all their big, big money. They're focused so much on, you know, doing things cheap and, and well, not necessarily cheap, but cheaper for the company, for the shareholders, that kind of thing. Putting out a quality product, yes, but how they go about it isn't so much focused on the storytelling, but more on the dollar aspect. I mean, it made sense to move it back to Marvel because it's an in-house, you know, franchise, but... You're right in the aspect of the good storytelling was being told by Dark Horse. Dark Horse treated it as a sequel. They they legitimately treated it like it was part of the canon. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a huge Marvel fan and, and you know, big time into Spider-Man and stuff like that. But when you know, well, let's take Superior Spider-Man. I'm following that line right now, but Spider-Man's in other series and stuff as Superior Spider-Man with the Doc Ock persona taking over Parker. And he's doing things in these other comics, but they're never really mentioned in the superior line. Although it all works together. But sometimes you'll get an occasion where it doesn't quite work or it's like you wish you would have known what was going on in the other stories. And that's a frustrating side that I don't want to see with Star Wars. I don't want to see Marvel putting out comics where we get these new characters. But if you're not following the five different series that that character may show up in, you're missing out on parts of it. And I don't like that because it's it's never really marketed at, that way when it comes to Marvel. You know, they don't go, well, be sure to read over here for this continuing adventure of Spider-Man. You know, they don't do that. And so I, I too, am concerned that, that the focus is less on the story and more on the background aspects of it. So that's something I, I'm concerned with when it came to Disney getting a hold of it. Because, you know, you, you that was one of the things that Lucas had, had always dodged that bullet with, you know, by having the rights to it all, was that he didn't have to do what people decided, you know, this is where we're going based off of these dollar scenarios. He was more focused on the story. Granted, a little too much so sometimes when you're going back and rehashing that same story over and over again and changing what your vision was for the entire saga from 12 to 3 to 6 to 9 to 12 again. I mean, you know, you never know with that guy what was going to happen. But at the same time, now you've got a board of people in that same position. And just as you had one guy that was very, you know, fickle and, and callous and bouncing around with what he was going to do, now you've got multiple people doing that. So, I, I see a lot of frustration in the future for us fans that want to know. I mean, I know Jennifer uh, uh, Heedle, she put out that blog about how she's got to stay tight-lipped. And I, and as I'm reading it, I kept thinking, you know, is this what Sue Rustoni would have been doing? Or is this why Sue retired? Like, did she know that she was going to have to stop putting out as much detailed information as far out as she was? Because when Sue was in charge of things over there at Delray, things were, were you know, we were getting to see, you know, 
concept drawings and we knew they were concept drawings and we'd see the you know this is the potential final covers but it's not the final cover and then when the final cover came we had that and then we'd get the you know the the, the character uh dramatis or however you say that you know you knew who characters were in there that was coming out early and now it's just they are so tight-lipped we don't even know what books are coming out and and they're telling us they're excited about things but it's like i get that you can't tell us certain things but there should be some things you can tell us like you've told us about a story group how about a little more clarification there is the story group telling the movie people what's going on or are they treating the people that are creating the movie like George Lucas and they're the ones that are determining what's going to be the future of Star Wars because I worry about that I mean if only the films from here on out in a Lucas world where Lucas isn't there and if these movies are the ones that are setting canon what if what if it goes out and, and we just get a really crappy movie like you know those crappy EU books that we would occasionally get are we just then then just going to go oh well the whole Star Wars saga is ruined because it's one or, or five projects you know I mean because that's that's what happened with the EU there were a lot of really good books out there but there's also a lot of junk ones out there but the junk ones seem to the public eye to be the ones that are the the uh, this is the the shining example of why the EU is failing because they keep putting this out well, but they've also put out these really good books like Trader, like Star by Star, like Darth Plagueis. I mean, there's a lot of really good books out there that that are shining examples of what the EU could be. I don't know. I go back and forth when it comes to that. You know, I mean, it's is it frustrating? Yes. Um, to see it jump from Dark Horse when Dark Horse has had such a pretty solid, for the most part, over the years uh, product line for Star Wars. But, I mean, this has happened before, right? I mean, the, the novels went from Del Rey to Bantam. Back to Del Rey again. Um, it, they went. The comics went from Marvel to Dark Horse. Now they're going from Dark Horse back to Marvel. Um, and, and each time it's sort of weathered the storm in some form or another. Albeit those times there tended to be a big gap, or at least a little bit of a gap between things being published by one company and then another. Um, but even then, now we still have the EU that has managed to bring in those earlier stories. Um, if you can make a jump like that when the EU isn't going away. And now have a gap, you know, it, it should be easier, I would say, at this point, if they are going to do anything as far as restarting the EU, rebooting it, uh, dumping things in the continuity, or whatever they decide to do, which apparently hasn't been decided and certainly hasn't been announced yet, it'd be very easy to jump into, hey, Marvel can do this, as opposed to Dark Horse. And no, they haven't announced their plans for it, but that's kind of the nature of the game when you've got something going from one license to another. Uh, right now, Dark Horse is the one who has the Star Wars license. They're the ones talking up what they're doing. I would expect that we would learn more as we get towards the end of the year, but that's only because that's when Marvel will start having their stuff being solicited in things like Diamond Comics previews. Um, I don't want to necessarily take all the, the energy out of the sales for Dark Horse because it is still Star Wars. It is still bringing in uh, the money. Uh, from a financial standpoint, it makes perfect sense, though, that they would want to have it all in-house. The more it's in-house, the less profit you share with other entities. Um, it, it, it's a business. And as much as we want to say, you know, that great stories are what's going to drive sales um, and, and drive profits, or that uh, if they can prove themselves, Dark Horse should be able to keep it, and then Marvel, you know, wouldn't have to have it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it's not about the vision in a lot of ways. You know, from a, from a profit and loss standpoint, it's very much about what's the bottom line. And if they have the opportunity to have creative control, um, creative coordination, and profits that are equal to or greater into their own pockets than what would be the case with Dark Horse. Not only is that the best thing for them, but it's the best thing for their shareholders. And, and in the end, it's the shareholders to whom the company is answerable, not the fans, not the buyers of the comics, but to those who own shares and are essentially part owners of the business. 
Um, I will say, though, Marvel has done some pretty good things in recent memory. If we were to get someone like a Brian Michael Bendis doing something for Star Wars, that would be incredible. That's not, I mean, just because it's jumping to Marvel and it's unfamiliar territory for Star Wars in the last few decades doesn't mean we're not going to have something stellar. The fact that they haven't announced it doesn't mean they're not going to be doing something terrific. Um, just like the fact that even though Dark Horse has had some really good stuff, that doesn't mean they don't have stuff in there like Tales from Mos Eisley, like, in my opinion, Dark Times, like Star Crash. They've had their flops, too. Um, it's a point now where it's just a changing of the guard, and it's a business decision. I'm I'm not going to blast the Marvel decision until we know what it means for the previous EU, what it means for future EU, and what types of stories they intend to tell. Are they going to fit together? Are they going to be meaningful? Or are they going to give us standalone crap stories that mean nothing and don't connect with each other at all? I doubt it's that latter possibility, so I'm waiting and seeing. Yeah, there's a lot of question there. But yeah, Bendis, man, he's he's been one of those in Marvel that I've really come to enjoy. Uh, I would dare say up there with John Ostrander when it comes to storytelling. Just I would love to see him get his hands on some stuff. I followed him from Avengers into all new X-Men and and just flat out loving the direction there. Uh, and, and when it comes to, you know, the future of the EU, I, for one... I'm still waiting for something from flat out Disney or, or from Lucasfilm. I'm not buying into any rumors from Jedi Digger or anyone else out there right now because it just sounds too far fetched. Uh, it's just something I just can't buy into. Uh, basically, though, it sounds like all you Star Wars fans, especially you EU fans, every one of you should go out and buy a share in Disney so you can have a say in what's going on. <laughs> and get enough shares of stock to have it actually matter. Um, okay, next one comes in very, very short here from Daniel Contreras, who says, Hey, Nate and Mark, I have an idea for a ponder question. Uh, this is one I put in here with the emails because I wasn't sure if this was something we would be able to use as a ponder for a full episode unless we expand it to include more characters. Um, but the question he asks, in, in tying into an article uh, from September from the Dallas News about Peter Mayhew having surgery and, and the questions of him walking in and such, the question he asks is, if Peter Mayhew decides he can no longer perform the role of Chewbacca, should the character be retired from future films or allowed to live on through another actor? I can give you my answer to this very easily, and it's not a very sympathetic one. It's kind of a straight-up, again, kind of a business and storytelling type of, of thing. Uh, I would say have it have the character be played by another actor. Um, I mean, how many freaking actors did we have playing... Boba Fett or voicing Boba Fett, what, Don Franks, we had John Morton, we had the voice of Jason Wingreen, uh, we had Tamira Morrison, we've had uh, Alan Rosenberg, Ed Begley Jr., and so on, and so on, and so on, not to include people like Daniel Logan playing him when he's young. I mean, th it's one thing to recast someone who is a character whose face we see, uh, and the face is the face of the actor, but Chewbacca... Uh, I mean, as awesome as Peter Mayhew's legacy is, especially in, in uh, affecting the fans and just, just being an all-around nice guy in so many ways, um, the character, it's a furry suit with a dude in it who happens to be tall. Um, as, as much as it would be, you know, anti, anticlimactic, it's not even going to be as, if he were to say no, and that he can't anymore, and somebody else were to be in the suit and manage to be the same height, same use of the suit, then we're not even talking about a change that is noticeable enough to be on par with the change that happened with Palpatine in Clone Wars, where we had a couple of episodes in which it was Tim Curry voicing him uh, instead of Ian Abercrombie. So, yeah, I would say 
Don't right. remove the character just because the actor can't do it, because this happens to be a character in which the actor, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, doesn't really matter when it comes to the actual filmmaking process. See, and I know I'm probably going to irritate some people out there with my answer. I, I agree with you. If you have to swap him out, you swap him out. I mean, you could even CG him at this point. I would hope not, but I, I'm of the opinion, I, I do not want to see Carrie Fisher repraise Leia. That's not Leia to me anymore. Hasn't been for a long time. Leia has not partied that hard. So I, I just, I have a hard time. Harrison Ford, I, I could go with Harrison Ford, but honestly, when I, when I'm reading my EU books, I see Dennis Quaid. That's who I see as an elder Han Solo, but Hamill still, I could still see Hamill rocking the role, uh, you know, throw a beard on him, especially he would just look epic, but I'd be fine if you swap the other two out. The solos don't need to be there as Harrison and Carrie Fisher. And yeah, I know a lot of people are out there. They think that's got to be, but I mean, why, why? Because they were the faces of those characters. I mean, if they were the faces of the characters, why weren't we still using their faces on the books? I mean, there were reasons they didn't do that. So let's honor those reasons. I mean, there, there seems to be a lot of fan outcry of, of let's honor what came before, but it's like, well, wh whose version of what came before are we going to honor? I mean, you know, I don't know. It's one of those where I don't think it really matters. I mean, look at the Batman franchise. You know, the face of Batman stayed the same. It was Bruce Wayne that changed. Didn't ruin those movies any. Granted, those movies were also very cheesetastic, but that's also the name of the Batman game at that time. You know, I mean, we've now seen that come around where they've gone dark with the Dark Knight, and they've kind of thrown away that old 1960s Batman kapow kind of feel that we were getting with Batman Forever and things like that. So I don't know, you know, you swap out the characters. I don't think it would be that big a deal. I I'm not that connected. I mean, uh, of the big three, it would be Hamill that I would like to see actually come back. The other ones I'd be okay with seeing someone else totally reprise the roles. That brings us to uh, several short emails. We'll hit them all at once here before replying from uh, Kenny Crayley. And uh, he says, first of all, hello, Nathan and Mark. Great show as always. Nice year in review show. I know you guys said that on the podcast on episode 102, the stuff for the making of the Return of the Jedi book uh, does not make any sense for it to be in Star Wars Insider, but I like that stuff on the making of the Star Wars films, whether it's the making of books or stories about the production of the films in Star Wars Insider. I like reading that stuff and find it interesting and fascinating, and I enjoy the making of books that J.W. Rensler has written and the articles about the making of the films in Star Wars Insider. Give up the good work, and may the Force be with you always. Secondly. Uh, for a later episode, he says, Hello, Star Wars Beyond the Films. Excellent episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films, as always. Mark and Nathan, good stuff in episode number 117 of the show. The story group article and tweets was overblown by some of the fans out there. The EU is not going away, and if you still like those other EU stories, the books and comics will still be out there to pick up and read. The story group is just cleaning house a bit and making its own canon for the new stuff that's coming. I'm not too worried about this. Everything is going to be just fine with the Star Wars EU, both old and new and what is coming. The EU, in its current form, got watered down by too many books and nine-book story arcs, and I'm glad it's going to be cleaned up a bit. Giving the Star Wars EU a new, fresh start is a good thing, but we'll see what happens. Third, hello Star Wars Beyond the Films, and Mark and Nathan, here are my thoughts on the Star Wars Marvel slash Dark Horse swap. My thoughts are that this is exciting, but not shocking news at the same time. We'll have to wait to see how it turns out. I just hope we see some more good Star Wars comics than not-so-good from Marvel. I hope it works out. And finally, a fourth. Dear Star Wars Beyond the Films, Hello, Mark and Nathan. I've been a longtime listener of the podcast since episode one and a longtime Star Wars EU and Star Wars books reader since 1997. 
My favorite kinds of Star Wars books are the behind the scenes and making of books like the ones from J.W. Rensler and some of the EU books like Heir to the Empire and comic series like Dark Empire. My question for you guys. When you guys talked about the Marvel Star Wars deal, you forgot to mention Disney Press doing Star Wars books. What are your thoughts on that? Take care, good luck, and may the Force be with you, always. Well, you know, when it comes to the insider and the making of thing, yeah, I, I'm one... I'm okay with it. I just don't like seeing it in almost every issue of Insider. You know, that that that's what the books are for. They they need to keep those books coming, you know, for those that want to be buying that. I mean, when I buy Insider, it's for the Star Wars Insider. You know, I want to be inside what's going on, not seeing what happened 20 years ago, what was going on then. So that that's my issue with Insider. But part of that is also because when I had the choice, there was two Star Wars magazines out there, Gamer and Insider. Insider wasn't really filled with a lot of stuff that I was enjoying at the time. Gamer was. Gamer had the ship layouts. It had character bios. It had the short stories. And then that one ended at 10. So I have the full run of 1 through 10. And then I got an Insider subscription because they gave it right over to the one to the other. Kind of what the, uh, the Clone Wars is doing with the new Rebels switch over. So kind of, you know, forced hand there, but I'm not a big fan of having that every single week and then having a very small section on the EU in Blaster. It's like, come on, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's just blow that end up. Uh, you know, when it comes to the overblown reactions to the tweets, boy, you ain't kidding, man. I mean, th people run with things in the most weirdest ways. And the fact that you could see like three different scenarios coming out of one statement was like, oh boy, here we go. That statement didn't clarify anything. Uh, you know, and you mentioned the EU not going away. I, I agree with you. You know, I've got myself 330 books sitting behind me that aren't going to disappear. The stories that are not going away. But what most people say when they fear that the EU is going away is what I call that zombie EU. You know, if the further stories, if the head of the EU is cut off, we're not going to see anything with Luke and Jaina Solo and anything going forward with them, then yeah, that aspect, the EU has gone away. You know, what we get from there is again getting back to that wait and see scenario, which is a classic Lucasfilm model right there. You know, hey, we're screwing with things. Oh, don't panic. Wait and see. What happens? We wait, we see. Oh, yep, you screwed with things, huh? Our panic was justified. Oh, but we got more stuff coming. Wait and see. Like, mm -hmm, yeah, I'm sick of being shoveled that spoon. But it is what it is. It's the nature of the game. When you've been in Phantom as long as I, you've seen this come and go, and you either decide to get off the boat or you stay on it. I've been staying on it. Uh, you know, when it comes to water down, though, I got to disagree with you on that one, Kenny. I think, you know, the bigger series were the best of the EU. Granted, the, the later nine book series, I think the reasons why those were hampered the most was because we had Denning as a closer. You know, I, I, I love Denning, great author, but his closings are his weakest part. And putting him at the end of two nine book series, that was the mistake. That, I don't know if that actually equals down to watered down, but I think that that's where a lot of people were having issue with the EU. To me, the watering down is books like Empire and Rebellion, where it's considered a series, but the first book takes place technically, chronologically speaking, after the second book, and they are not connected at all. So what makes them a series? The title? That's watered down. Well, on the subject of the whole uh, making of books, uh, I'm usually not one who picks those up. I just, I, I mean, it's interesting to me, but it... I guess for whatever reason, that's not the kind of thing that I'm reading for pleasure. If I'm reading something for pleasure, it tends to be fiction a lot of the time. Um, right now, I'm in the process of reading The Stand and finally reached book two out of three in the way that that big book's divided up. Um, or I'm reading the Star Wars EU stuff because I want to make sure that I get it on the timeline and that sort of thing. Although some of it's been really, really good lately, like uh, Honor Among Thieves, which comes out in March. Is, you guys are going to like that one, even though it's a little, you know, not all that tied into much of anything. Nails the voices of the characters. Um... I would say, though, that I am interested in the storyboards books that are out there, the one that's coming out soon and the one that's already out. And I have been eyeing on iBooks those 
making of books by Rensler because of all the multimedia stuff they've worked into them. They did an awesome job doing the Jedi path for iBooks and adding some interesting new tweaks to it. So I'm interested in seeing those. Uh, as for the EU, the idea that the modern EU doesn't go away even if there is a reboot because you can still buy the books and such out there, um, that's a little bit, I guess, more true now than it was, say, the last time around because the last time around, you know, it had been many, many years. A lot of those books were out of print um, and there was no eBay at the time. There was no way to necessarily find those early Star Wars books unless you went to a used bookstore or something. Now, obviously, if things end with Del Rey or end with Dark Horse as they are, you're still going to be able to find plenty of those old Star Wars books, uh, eBay, comic book shops, bookstores, and that sort of thing, at least for a very long time to come in the future. Possibly even more so than now if you wind up with people just dumping their collections. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a difference between you can go out and still read the old stuff, and they are actively supporting and promoting the old stuff. You know, if they decide to reboot the EU, of course we can go buy the, the Thrawn trilogy. Of course we can go buy uh, Star Wars Legacy in comic form. But we know that, at, in general, that EU version is dead because it's not being actively added to. Um, and, and that's one of these things that it strikes a lot of people as frustrating, and it would strike me as frustrating to an extent, but... There is a lot to be said for the promise and the the opportunities storytelling-wise if they were to do a reboot, because it would be starting back from scratch, and they could go off and in, in do some different choices than what we saw in the previous EU. And, hey, you end an EU, it gives me an opportunity to finally finish that chunk of the Star Wars timeline goal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's again, it's very much a wait-and-see type of thing when it comes to where everything's going. It's, it'd be nice to know something more now, but it's only February of of uh, 14, and it's still going to be a little while before we start seeing things from Marvel or official announcements from Disney about adult novels and such. Yeah, which, you know, that aspect I didn't address, that Disney having their own books. Uh, I'm pretty sure as of right now, we're just looking at adaptations of the Rebels episodes. I'm curious to see if they ever plan on doing something that may threaten Delray. Well, uh, there's... There is a there is at least one original Rebels book that's coming. Um, I believe it's by Jason Fry, but from what I understand, it's also sort of the kids' book line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's as far as I've been aware too. Is that it's all focusing kids' books and it's all focusing on Rebels. Nothing outside of that yet. That brings us to uh, a message we got from Bill Thompson. This actually came through Facebook. He says. Listening to your 100th episode, and I feel the need to chime in when it comes to Star Wars and the Expanded Universe. I'll not lie. I have no interest in the upcoming films. I'll see them if my daughter wants to see them, but my Star Wars over the years has become the EU. That was an approach that was fine to take because there was clearly room for fans of the films and the EU, or someone like myself, who viewed it all as one giant universe of cool. I never liked the Clone Wars. I could never get past the substandard animation and insipid storytelling. And yes, I mean the later seasons, too. And everything I've seen from Rebels looks cheap and like it will be more of the same. This, for me, is where things began to go downhill. The writing was on the wall, and I knew it. I vented about it online, but the general attitude the Star Wars community met me with was that I needed to get in line and salivate over the films and realize that the EU simply didn't matter anymore. Because of that, I slowly withdrew from the greater Star Wars community. As I write this, I've deleted every Star Wars podcast from my feed, save for you guys. I used to enjoy engaging in Star Wars discussions, but I no longer get any enjoyment from it. You guys, as well as the other podcasts I have deleted, do a great job. That's not the issue. 
Rather, the issue is that the treatment of the EU and the direction that Star Wars proper has decided to go have left me with little interest in Star Wars. I haven't opened up a book or comic, watched a movie or TV show, or played a video game in close to six months now. The logical side of me knows that the death of the EU, and yes, it's dead, guys, there's no point in denying it anymore, shouldn't impact what has come before. But with the EU dead, it simply doesn't feel like a universe worth exploring anymore. My Star Wars fandom has reached the point where I don't care about Star Wars anymore because Star Wars no longer gives me a reason to care. I hope everyone enjoys the movies. I really do. For now, I'm still listening to the podcast, but every week I find myself dragging my feet more when it comes to anything Star Wars related. I'm simply one Star Wars fan who has nothing to be a fan of anymore. And that's why it's time to exit stage left and leave Star Wars behind. It's not my Star Wars anymore. It's not for me. And as sad as that may be, it is a realization that I needed to come to. Because a Star Wars without the EU isn't Star Wars. I'll always prefer the EU to the films. But the enjoyment of the universe is gone. And with that, I believe so am I as a Star Wars fan and a member of the community. Bill, if so, it's sad to see you go. I I got to sympathize with you on a lot of areas here. I mean, you know, no interest. I... I get that because right now the way that they're marketing star Wars for fans that were fans of the EU, they're doing nothing for us. I mean, that's what's really killing it. I mean, fans in this boat are not being helped by the way that they're just not mentioning anything. And the fact that those fans out there that only liked the films, they hated the EU. They're loving it right now. I mean, it could go either way, but that's the sad thing. I mean, you know, you say it's dead. I, I, I can't say that yet, but it's definitely in a coma. Will it come out of the coma? I don't know. I'm praying it will. Uh, right now, for me, the comics have been the one thing that really are, are keeping my interest going. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm in Razor's Edge, and I, I just keep getting stuck on the fact that this book isn't going to matter to anything. That, you know, Nathan, you'd mentioned before about how it had that old Bantam era feel to it. I mean, uh, Ruins of Dantooine totally has this feel to that book. I mean, except for at least with that, it connected to a game. This connects to nothing. And... That wouldn't be bad, except for I I want that connection. I would like to see these characters show up. And knowing that there's a big possibility that they're not going to show up leaves me not really caring that much for what's going on with the rest of this series, even though it's not really a series. And Darth Maul, the, that Darth Maul book I'm interested in, but at the same time, that's that, that has the feel of the last book of the EU that I'm going to really care about, that I want to read. You know, the, the Empire and Rebellion series... I don't care about the big three in this time frame. I want their further stories. And Crucible said, well, we're not going to do any more of them. And while I still had stories with, with Jaina and Ben to be told and Luke and them could have still showed up, we're going backwards for me. And, and that leaves me in that same boat where, you know, there is a part of me that wants to get off. There's a part of me that's just like, you know, if the sequel film sucks so bad, then yeah, this is my jump off point. I don't want to jump off. I've loved the ride I've had. I've watched a lot of other fans jump off and it's, it's, it's sad to watch it happen, especially when it, it didn't have to happen. I guess I'm sort of in a, in an unusual position with this in that the EU Aside from just being what we discuss here on the podcast, the EU is effectively the thing that my fandom has usually been about. Um, my Star Wars Timeline Gold, all, you know, what, almost 3,000 or whatever it is, pages of the thing that exists now, um, you know, is, is mostly dedicated to being a chronology and a, a sort of encapsulation of that expanded universe, or at least the official continuity element of it. Um, with anything else, though, that's licensed and non-continuity, put into an apocrypha section. I mean, it's something that has sort of um, grown as the EU has grown, and I've tried to keep up with it. Same thing with trying to do the uh, From the Star Wars Library video series. You know, trying to keep up and uh, hit the Star Wars releases as 
they uh, were originally being released. And there's a big question as far as, you know, for me, what happens if there is a reboot? If the current EU is dead, which certainly looks like that's going to be the case, but there is yet to be any type of confirmation of that officially, um, you know, do I keep doing the Star Wars timeline goal? Do I just essentially lock that off and say that is the original uh, EU, now here's the new expanded universe, EU2, uh, uh, to coin uh, the phrase Joe Harrison used oh so long ago for fan productions, um, or is this something where I, instead of closing it off and doing something for the, the new thing, just say, screw it, I'm done? Um, same thing with uh, from the Star Wars library. You know, Is there going to be enough of an audience caring about seeing information about how the old EU developed if there is a new EU and the one that uh, uh, that has been being covered is gone? But to me, I think that I'm... I, I liked the Clone Wars. Okay, by the time it was over with, I really liked the Clone Wars. I think the animation got much, much better. And the fact that, you know, when you see it on Blu-ray, it's gorgeous. That works for me. Um, the complexity of the storytelling certainly got better as the series went along. However, I will agree, although I think for different reasons, that the writing was on the wall, that it's not so much the EU is dead, but the idea that, that things must be kept consistent, to an extent that is dead. Or as Mark said, it's in a coma. Or it's been dealt a, a blow and it's sitting there bleeding out and we're waiting to see what winds up happening to it. You know, is the story group going to patch him up? Or is the story group going to say, oh, well, we're going to shoot you like an injured horse and bring in a new horse? Um, because the Clone Wars came along and basically stomped all over the EU as it had existed in certain cases, sometimes for no damn reason whatsoever. Yes, we said Greedo. That's not the way Greedo exists. So, goodbye Greedo's origin story. Goodbye this about Greedo. What about the comics you put out that's an adaptation of the story you just got rid of, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn is back, uh, and that's cool, but hey, you know what's another character we can bring in? How about we bring in Quinlan Vos? He's another Q, and hey, let's make him cool. He's a beach bum now. Nothing like his character in the comics. Um, it was sort of this, you know, this sense that they would do what they felt like, say it tied into things by making reference to things, but changing them when they did it. And the result was sort of a stomping around, smashing through what was at the time the single most detailed, chronologically uh, coordinated segment of the Star Wars universe. That three years of the Clone Wars between, and I mean three years in terms of, of uh, continuity time, but about eight years in publishing time, or I guess six years of publishing time, where you went from about 2002 to 2008 prior to the Clone Wars cartoon series, and even a little bit beyond that, where, you know, you could tell which story in the Clone Wars took place at which not only month mark, but week mark, because they were all meant to fit together. And instead, that very intricate, very detailed, finely crafted continuity gets smashed into like someone letting Anuba loose in a freaking china shop. Um, that still, to me, that, that left me several times thinking, maybe I should quit the timeline. Maybe I'm done, because it seems like the powers that be aren't caring or aren't able to provide answers. But I was always holding on to that hope that answers would be forthcoming, because we were told that when the series was over with, not only would we get a final order of episodes, but we would see how it all fits together with the previous Clone Wars stuff. And now we're told that ain't gonna happen. There isn't going to be any kind of answer forthcoming. They're not looking into finding a way to interweave it all together. The assumption is, it's just like Luke Skywalker says, the chronology of the Clone Wars is confusing, and while many of these events do happen alongside the cartoon show, hell if we know where they take place, hell if we're going to bother to actually try to find a way to make it fit. Possibly because so much of it may be tossed out in the future anyway if there's an EU reboot. Um, that, to me, was the moment that made me say, 
I think I may be done. But the support of the community uh, that we talked about earlier, the fact that I really enjoy doing that for fun, and the fact that, hell, now that I've done two different basically timelines of the Clone Wars because they're so incompatible, hell, might as well have another alternate universe to follow from the ground up using the things that I've learned and the skills that I've learned now that make me better off to do that than I was back in 97 when I started the project. Um, why not follow what's new and end cap what is there? So um, it'll, it, I'm sure it'll be a trying time for me, whatever happens to the EU and whatever happens with the new films and such, given the nature of the projects that I do. But for now, I'm sticking with it. Star Wars, to me, um, has always had somewhat different continuities anyway, like the things like Star Wars Infinities or back when we used to think, before they brought it back into the EU, that the Marvel stuff was independent of everything else. For now, I'm okay with the idea that there are multiple sagas to follow, different interpretations of what we're seeing. Um, I just wish it were being done in such a way, if it is going to be done, that it's able to maintain the fan base that is there now and minimize the number of people who say, screw it and walk away, because I'm afraid that their perspective is, yeah, we may have a small amount of people who say, screw it and walk away, but we'll bring in enough new fans with the new films and new books and new comics that it'll more than make up for those who say, screw it and walk away, so screw those who say, screw it. Um, we'll just have to see how they handle anything uh, if and when the EU starts getting reshuffled, restructured, or rebooted. And to those that, that jump on, just wait. Given enough time, the Star Wars that you grew up with will be the next one on the platter to be poo-pooed on. That brings us uh, to some uh, emails here, some of which are somewhat longer, coming in from Andrew Gilbertson, who's been a long-time listener to this show uh, and other ones that I've been a part of. Actually, also just recently had a guest spot on their show, uh, Under the Miniscope, for Doctor Who, talking about the 50th anniversary stuff. I was like, it wound up being so long, we wound up cutting it into three friggin' episodes because we talked a lot of Doctor Who. Um, all right, so uh, the person actually goes back to some of the earlier uh, episodes that we've dealt with here, one that he had heard for the first time. Uh, so Andrew Gilbertson says in the first case here, I'm curious, now that I'm listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films number 77 and the Qua apparently kickstarted all the technology in the galaxy or seeded civilizations, this puts them up there with Star Trek's Preservers and Stargate's Ancients and Doctor Who's Daemons slash Jaggeroth slash Rachnos slash Fendal slash etc. Yeah, Doctor Who loves its ancient civilization shapers. It has me wondering, do you think there's any significance in modern storytelling, or perhaps even culturally, that every franchise eventually ends up with a progenitor race that began everything? It almost feels like a subconscious gravitation toward intelligent design. No one feels that a bunch of primitive societies pulling themselves up by their bootstraps is satisfying, or at the very least, they feel the need to add something more vast before that. On the other hand, perhaps it's a fascination with the past. Rome, the Aztecs, Babylon, the idea of an ancient forebearer civilization, long gone now, on whose shoulders things are built. A subconscious need to have a vast, lost, massive entity that came before. A need for the events being depicted not to be the pinnacle or the first, but merely another link in a long chain. We live in a world very far from the dawn of time. Perhaps writers have a subconscious need to put their universe similarly far along. Or perhaps it's something as simplistic as a fanboy mentality. The innate need to make something bigger and awesomer that has led DC slash Marvel comics to their current absurd crossover mega events. Perhaps a top this mentality eventually requires a giant mega civilization. Because creating one in the present would create too many narrative difficulties and the past is the only place that they can be placed. 
Or perhaps it is an entirely different societal or narrative imperative that drives all of these franchises to a similar point eventually. It does seem to be a trope that is too common to be mere coincidence. What do you guys think? I think you hit the hammer right on the head. I mean, it's drawing to the past, you know, with Rome, with the Egyptian pyramids, all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, people are still to this day trying to pinpoint where the lost city of Atlantis is, if it ever existed and things like that. I mean, I love watching treasure shows and things like that. There's that, that allure. There's something, I don't know, maybe it's primal. It's in our DNA or something to, to want to know what came before. I don't know. But there is definitely a pull, a pull there, and, and you're on to a lot of good points. I think part of it is that interest in the idea that history uh, sort of links us all together. And that's one thing, you know, in modern day, you know, we there's a lot of interest in studying ancient civilizations and such. Uh, a lot of times in schools, you don't get a chance to delve too much into the, the connectivity of everything. But I tell you, my AP World History class made up of sophomores are just fascinated by things like the Mongols. The idea that this was the group that while they were in Central Asia pushed out other groups who pushed out other groups that eventually wind up putting the pressure on the Roman Empire's borders, bringing the Huns in and the other uh, Germanic tribes that eventually wind up bringing down the city of Rome and with it, essentially, the western part of the empire. And the Mongols are the same people who wind up bringing down the Song dynasty in China um, and wind up ruling as a Yuan dynasty until the Ming come around. And they manage to take over, essentially, uh, and adapt to society in India, creating the Mughals, the sort of Muslim Mongols ruling India, which is still, in a lot of ways, a Hindu society. Um, the fact that the Mongols and the way that they moved throughout Central Asia and moved onward toward the West is essentially what unleashes bubonic plague upon, eventually, Western Europe. And at least some of that manages to jump during Western European exploration of the New World over here. So it's not just smallpox, for instance, that kills a lot of the Native Americans, but bubonic plague also does. Uh, there's a belief that bubonic plague may have even been uh, the disease that killed the village that Squanto originally came from. The guy that supposedly helps the pilgrims and everything as far as the first Thanksgiving and all. The guy that supposedly, um, that, well, not say supposedly, the guy that miraculously spoke English. Well, yeah, because he'd been taken as a slave, taken over to Europe, and wound up coming back eventually. By the time he got back, of course he was willing to help the pilgrims because his entire village had been wiped out by a disease, which, again, is very likely bubonic plague, unleashed by the Europeans, unleashed upon the Europeans by the Mongols. This idea that there is this connectivity, and we are much more interlinked than we realize, and that even in the distant past when societies weren't linked as much, circumstances often were. Uh, that really gets you know people interested in that sort of thing. That's why... You get things like the History Channel doing so many things on Ancient World. That's also why I guess you got the Ancient Aliens kind of stuff on History Channel, um, because you have all these these theories about, you know, well, we must have come from somewhere. Where could we be? And if you don't want to base it on uh, any particular faith tradition, um, then what you're left with is what science can and cannot prove, uh, and the stuff that it can't, we must find some way to explain it. Um, but that's also, I mean, storytelling... I'm not sure that it's something where everybody's wanting to one-up each other, although to an extent, you know, writers like to do that. But also just this idea that inherent in any society is the desire to know where we came from uh, or to seek out where we came from. And you would figure that people in the Star Wars universe would want to know where they came from. You know, people in a Star Trek universe would want to know where they came from. And uh, oftentimes, outside, for instance, Star Wars, outside of, for instance, the Yuuzhan Vong, we don't get a lot of detail of the religions behind Star Wars societies and what they believe about where all life in the universe came from, or even their society came from. 
Instead, we get something that's a little more on the scientific side of things, except instead of it being something that's supposed to explain one species of sentience, it has to somehow explain many species of sentience. And in doing so, you almost need to have some kind of progenitor race. Otherwise, there's no way to link all these different societies together. If you were to say it was a faith thing, and that each one was created by the god they worship, and yet that assumes that there must be many gods, and these different religions are all effectively monotheistic, you have the, the makings of what could become a huge religious conflict that could just consume the galaxy in its own fire. So it's a lot of storytelling potential, I think, in something like that. Um, honestly, if there's anything that I would prefer, I'd like to see some of the fires start, in a sense. I would love to see some groups that don't just accept the Celestials, or don't just accept the Qua, that have some measure of, of uh, belief in some other type of, uh, of creation or evolution or whatever you want to call it, some other theory of origins that would wind up leading to a conflict. So far, I mean, beyond that, we've really only tended to see the Yuzhan Vong pulling that sort of thing. I mean, I want to see a, I want to see a Weequay out there going, dang it, your gods aren't real, but our magic eight ball sure as hell is, right? Uh, the Quay, the great god Quay and all that. Um, it would be an interesting thing to see that type of thing grow, but religion, I don't know, it, I'm not sure I would trust many pop cultural entities now to handle religion within sci-fi in a way that wasn't construed as religious bashing. You almost have to search out particularly religious authors to find something like that, because so often now, religion becomes the target uh, for jokes and ridicule as opposed to being something taken as uh, faith being a respectable thing, but that's a topic for probably a whole nother show, and I'm sure Andrew and I have talked about that plenty of times before also. All right, also from Andrew, I'll be at this one smaller. Uh, my feelings on Marvel having the comics are pretty simple. I enjoyed what they did before, so I'm happy with it. I'm leery to the point of fandom loss over the EU being overwritten, of course, but I don't think Marvel creating the comics versus Dark Horse really has anything to do with that. The policy of the EU and canon will be set at a higher level. So for me, it's simply an issue of Marvel as a creative team working on Star Wars comics. As the world's avowed Jackson fan, singular, obviously I look forward to that. If the EU survives the new films, I may even stick around with the franchise long enough to read it. As long as I keep Joe Quesada and anyone involved with that one more day Sith spit, the griff away from it. May the Force be with you, Mark. Uh, may the Force be with you, and dare I hope now, perhaps the little leppy tops into guys someday again soon. You know... I'm actually if they if they do bring Jackson back, I want to see like a Rise of the Guardian Easter Bunny style to him. I mean, I love the way Hugh Jackman played the Easter Bunny, and if that was how we had a Jackson character show up, hey, I'm down. Uh, I, I think Jackson gets a lot of flack because he was like the modern day at that time Jar Jar Binks. You know, <laughs> like, a lot of people weren't quite feeling him, but I don't know. I don't think he was a terrible character, and I got to agree. I think it, it's really coming down to that question of the story group. You know, I mean. Our, are they now George Lucas? Uh, you know, and by that I get to, are they telling the movies, like, you know, these are the directions we want you to go? Are they, you know, like like how the books go, where, you know, these are the plots we'd like to see you hit. Let's see what we go with this, you know? Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I kind of think it all hinges on that question. Yeah, it's a question on what they decide to do at the higher level, as he said. And I'm, there are plenty of creative people at Marvel who could do very good things. Uh, full disclosure here, by the way, Andrew is the guy behind that Star Wars Marvel's audio drama series, uh, which I find really, really fun to listen to, but I also took part in it playing a whole lot of different voices. Um, so he's the guy that took things like 8 for Aduba 3 and turned them into audio dramas. He's a big, big fan of the really early Marvel stuff. 
uh, which, yeah, I reread recently, and you can find my thoughts on those on From the Star Wars Library, the video series up on YouTube and all. Uh, now, this one is also from Andrew, but a significantly longer one with a lot more depth going into the whole story group thing uh, that I thought... This and a couple others that are fairly long in this episode, I think, bear dealing with in full because they do offer divergent perspectives, and we want to make sure, of course, that ours aren't the only perspectives being given here, which we'll certainly find when we get to the stuff about the conventions and sexual harassment. Um, anyway, in relation to story group and whatnot, from Andrew. Oi, you guys. Man, I just can't define... Well, they'll make canon consistent, so we won't have someone like Lucas coming in and trampling all over whatever's there. That isn't a source of optimism for me. Maybe I just represent a different kind of fandom. Or maybe no true fandom at all, if I'm not just happy with what comes. But to me, this is not cause to look up. Not on its own. If it preserves the sanctity of the carried-over EU, it's great news. If not, it's kind of like hearing, I know you're really invested in this wildlife preserve and you really care for the plight of the bald eagles. Well, the plan is to set fire to the preserve and shoot as many of the eagles as we can out of the air. We're angling for extinction here, man, but we've totally just passed laws so that when we establish a new gopher preserve next year, that place will be totally inviolate, man. No one will be able to touch it. The wildlife will be completely preserved there and all the gophers will be absolutely safe. Isn't that great news, bald eagle lover? That may be a little silly, but I hope it makes my point. I'm not a fan of just anything with the Star Wars name slapped on it. I'm a fan of the universe of Star Wars that I saw and perceived in the 90s, the world made up of Bantam and West End games. They told a story, built a world that captured my imagination. KOTOR didn't do that. The prequels didn't do that. Clone Wars didn't do that. They didn't build a world that inspired me. I didn't care. I care about the world, the very separate and specific world that was built around the original trilogy and the unique ideas and feels and dynamics therein. Does that make me not a Star Wars fan? Maybe, and that I'm not a fan of everything with the name Star Wars on it. I like to think I'm not alone here. There are plenty of fans for whom The Force Unleashed fuels their imagination, but Angry Birds means nothing. Folks for whom the audio dramas are ambrosia, but they've never bothered with the novels. The branding does not mean the fandom automatically stretches to cover it, or else you'd be both major enthusiasts of Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin. What I am is a fan of, say, a certain period of licensing, or a certain version of Star Wars, I'm sure there are some Transformers fans for whom Beast Wars fired their imagination, but nothing else. Or the 80s cartoons. They might not be general Transformers fans, but they're definitely Beast Wars fans. And maybe that's me. And maybe that isn't your target audience. But for an audience like me, if I had an intro on the show, it would probably be attacker of the multiverse, condemner of the Clone Wars, and overall grumpy old man who just wants the darn EU that he fell in love with to still be relevant to his children, gosh darn it. It's not comforting to hear they're probably still trampling everything you actually care about in Star Wars, but they're totally going to protect and sanctify whatever comes to replace it. No cause to freak out because no reboot's been announced? Got it. Never quite bought into those rumors and glad they're not confounded. That gives hope a little longer. Being cheerful or optimistic about a story group? No. Vaguely hopeful about the consistency, but if it's just applied to some pretender that overruns everything I care about, it'll be meaningless. And that's why it's hard to listen to the show sometimes. To hear you guys so gung-ho about every new development, to hear what sounds to me like, yeah, it's time for a clean break, yeah, I think we should totally go for a multiverse that makes this EU totally irrelevant to anyone that didn't grow up with it, yeah, I'm all for tossing it all aside so that we can get some consistency in the next one. When I hear that, I hear, yeah, your grandma's really sick, son. The best solution is to starve her, then find a new healthy old lady to get attached to. 
That way your new grandma will be even better without any of the flaws of the old one. It's the talk of someone with no investment in what's being replaced. Now I know that isn't true. I know that you guys love the EU. That's been clear in your podcast, your audio projects, the timeline, everything that comes along. But that's how it sounds. Now, I know that what happens with the EU will happen regardless of what people think about it. My opinion or yours won't affect Disney policy one iota. I do get that. But as the people telling me not to worry, trying to reassure the fans, I don't think it's working. Because you come off as someone that would be just fine with the result that to other fans would be catastrophic. So the comforting doesn't work because you're saying it'll all be okay, but your definition of okay includes things that are absolutely abhorrent and unthinkable to the ones you're trying to reach. So in the end, whose problem is that? Well, mine and any other fans that feel that way. It's our hang-up that keeps your reassurances from being any comfort. But at the same time, I think it's helpful to be aware that for someone to whom the Thrawn trilogy and the X-Wing books are what's great about Star Wars, championing the multiverse, advocating a reboot, suggesting a split into a new EU or a second timeline, or generally even saying that the story group is cause for optimism just isn't going to help. Because those things will leave behind everything they care about. It's the gopher preserve. That's great for the gophers, but for the people who care about the eagles, and nothing but the eagles, it's not really any encouragement. Well, this has been long, rambling, and probably has come off like an indictment. It's not meant to be that, not in the slightest. You guys do a great show, and your efforts to reach and help the fan community through a trying time are commendable. I'm just trying to offer an insight into why those efforts may be harder than you expected, or why fandom is not reacting in the ways you would expect. There's a different mindset at work, and fair or intellectually honest or not, it's not going to be reached by what's being said now. Maybe we can't be reached at all, and we're just destined for misery as the inevitability of a reboot approaches. Maybe all I'm doing is giving you reassurance that if a certain segment of fandom remains miserable and gloomy, it's not a failure on your part to reach them. It's something that they can't be helped. I don't know. Star Wars doesn't make much sense to me anymore anyhow. I struggle to see the Star Wars I love and what it's become. Maybe fans like me are just being left behind by our own inability to change our taste and love the very different thing that we're being given now. And now I just think I'm rambling. I hope this email comes off as neither hurtful nor confusing, but as an insight into why certain segments of fandom are more prone to freaking out. For those of us that a part of Star Wars, a segment or section that we are connected to, is everything, then it's not that part of Star Wars may vanish, but Star Wars lives on and will keep giving us new things. It's the only part of Star Wars that I loved is gone, usurped by an upstart that I care nothing about. Who cares what rules will govern this new pretender that takes the name of the one I love? The Sith take them all. They're nothing to me. The only one that matters is gone. Hence, a reboot becomes more world and fandom shattering, and the comfort of what's to come less reassuring. Because it's not just Star Wars will endure. They don't care about Star Wars the brand. They care about those stories and ideas and universe, in every flavor and feel and concept of it unique to those older things that were branded with the name that they formed an attachment to. Take those away, and there's nothing left in Star Wars the brand for them, except the dull hope that someone can come along and manage to produce a work so masterful that it's not only as good as the things they lost, but also good enough beyond to overcome the bitter taste of what's been lost, which, based on the Star Wars franchise of late, hopes are very dim for. In the end, these stories won't be lost. They'll still be on the shelf, they'll still be there, and even if they die the slow death of obscurity to the new fans and generations moving forward, they'll still be here. We can still read them whenever we want, and Disney or Marvel or the powers that be can't take that away from us, nor are they going to try to. But they can take away everything in the new products that they label as Star Wars that would cause us to have any interest in pursuing them or reason to connect to them. They can estrange them so far from what we care about that there's just no reason to care about what's new. Like the Clone Wars, they can make this a choice that it didn't have to be between what's beloved and what's new. 
I think that's what some fans are afraid of. Not that our EU will be going somewhere, though for me the legacy of the things I love in the eyes of future generations is certainly part of it. Rather, the fear is that Star Wars will draw that line in the sand and, like many prequel-era products have, separate themselves from anything that I can enjoy because of my level of investment in what's come before. The fear is that, because we are so rooted in the EU that's come before, Star Wars will go to a place that we can't follow. Not that we'll lose our EU of the past, but that Star Wars of the future will lose us. It's funny how many family metaphors keep springing to mind, of dying relatives, grandparents, and others left unvoiced above. In the paragraph preceding, the metaphor that came to mind is a remarriage of new in-laws that may be saying, quote, the children from your first marriage aren't welcome here, of people telling you to let a loved one go and accept a new replacement loved one as just as good. I think that demonstrates that on some level, the Star Wars that I know, the EU that I love, and the stories of them are family to me. I grew up with them. I care about them. I'm invested in them enough that, to me, they are what happened. They are the real history of the galaxy far, far away, and my mind is no more conditioned to accept their replacement than it is to accept a newly printed history book that tells me that George Washington actually traveled to Australia to fight the Aborigines for independence and John Adams no longer exists. I'm too rooted in what I know to unlearn what I have learned. The Thrawn trilogy is my history as much as it is my family, and something that contradicts it I just can't accept. Even a separate continuity that doesn't overwrite it will still hold nothing for me, because it's still disconnected, conflicting, and unreal. It might be a curiosity like the Infinity Stories, but as a new official continuance of what is, it would be empty to me. That's the fear. That's the reason that the story group is cold comfort. Anything that sets itself against that history can't be real to me, not in the way that what came before was. My fear isn't that they'll take away my old EU. My fear is that they'll take the new Star Wars away from me by setting it in conflict with the old in a way that I, rightly or wrongly, can't accept because of my investment. That Star Wars will grow away from me because I managed to invest in what they have gave me to grow close to back then. For fans like that, it doesn't matter how nice the railroad's going to be, or how well run, or how much it represents progress and development and growth in the future. It just matters they have to bulldoze the family home to lay the tracks. And having exceeded my metaphor quota to the year... I'll wrap up. Sorry for the long, morose, novel-length letter, Andrew. Well, Andrew, I mean, you know, you're not wrong. Uh, you, you nail a lot of good metaphors out there, and I, I sympathize. There's an echo with, with how you're feeling. Um, the ego and the gopher, I think that's my, my favorite of all your metaphors right out the gate, but... I think you're right. You know, fans have their own playgrounds. You know, mine, it's it's the New Jedi Order. Oh, and Go Beast Wars, by the way. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's hard finding a good way to look at it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying so hard to be positive about all these things, especially when it seems like so many people out there, and, and, and I hate to label anyone, but, but typically the ones that really just drive me the most about taking these rumors and running with them in a malicious way are those that were only fans of the movies and hated everything about the EU hated any time the EU would contradict anything that they considered Lucas's uh, vision. And it seems like those fans are just taking great glee out of the fact that, that, that they may not be considered as Canon as, you know, the other direction, but I don't know. That's why I try to look at it in, in multiple ways. I mean, everything you've spelled out is is exactly how I feel, and you know that whole wait and see mentality I can't stand. But at the same time, it's it's something I've come to see as the the ride of fandom. So I kind of just follow that. I, I I know it's it's coming, and 
granted, by the time we get to the end, it's probably not going to be what I was hoping it was going to be, but I just got to keep trying to throw out some positive thoughts and stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe it'll catch. Maybe enough people will go, you know, hey, there is no reason why we have to take Mara and rename her and, and those kind of things when those rumors surface. I mean, it, when it comes to the story group, I, I tried to take great satisfaction in knowing that Leland is on there and that when it comes to the side of, trying to rectify the differences between the films and the EU and the, the vision of Lucas and things like there is no dark side and stuff like that, that, that really irk a lot of film only fans. You know, when I was for a reboot or a reconstruction of things to make them kind of fit together, Leland has always been Mr. One universe. It's one universe. It's going to keep being one universe. It'll always be one universe. It is one universe. And yet you had Lucas going, it's two universes, mine and theirs. And then we got the fan fiction and, and, it was like, but Leland has always been one universe. It's one universe. It'll always be one universe. And I just keep falling back to that. I cannot see a lot of the rumors that are coming out happening with Leland Chi on that story group. Unless, like you say, they flat out say, you know, we're going to we're gonna shoot the horse. And we're going to put in this new horse. But they haven't yet. And so the fact that they've been tight-lipped on that keeps me kind of hopeful. But it is very difficult being hopeful in this regard. Uh, you know, you mentioned the fact about the, the, the throne, uh, you know, the, the person sitting on the throne, the pretender, that's that zombie you I'm talking about that. I fear that same thing, man. I'm right there with you. I want to enjoy these books and stuff. I need my daughter, Jaina. If they put another character out there and name her hands, Hannah Leia's daughter, and she doesn't have the name Jaina. There's a part of me that's going to be really upset. Uh, you know, not, not just because my daughter's name is, is a, a pseudo name for Han and, and Leia's baby, but the fact that, you know, they didn't have to do that. And that's the part that just irks me the most is that there's so much potential to make it still work. And yet it gets back to that. Who's in charge and what is their star Wars? I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to have a story group of fans that were only fans of the films and hated everything else. That would be a nightmare. Uh, it just, as I'm sure the nightmare for movie only fans is knowing that people like Leland and Pablo are on there. People that bring obscure stories that they hated into the forefront of that official canon that Nathan talks about. I mean, we still have with the public at large, this concept of they, they don't get canon or well, the EU has never been canon. No, the EU has never been film canon, which we've always known, but it has been canon. You ignoramus. And, and I'm not trying to call names on uh, people here, but there is a, a disconnect there on one end where they just don't care because they're like, well, I got my six movies and that's all it is. And we'll have three more. And that's all I have to worry about my stuff. It fits. It's like, well, but it doesn't quite jive as well as you would like to pretend, you know? Yeah. Lucas had a vision, but watch you see Han and, and Leia kissing there. Yeah. You see Luke and Leia kissing there. Uh-huh. And then later they change things up because he changed his mind. That's part of the creative process. I don't know. I, I, I want to be positive and it is easy to doom and gloom. And so I, I try to look at it like that. Try not to doom and gloom first. Try to put a positive spin on it because deep down in the core, I, I'm struggling with my fandom because of the fact that they've been so tight lipped. I'm in that same boat. I want my Star Wars to be the Star Wars that's continuing. I, I don't want to feel like I'm being left behind. And I mean, Andrew, you said so many things there that resonate with me. And, you know, don't worry, man, no hard feelings at all. I mean, it, there's a part of me that's conflicted with myself. I'm bipolar over this. I mean, I think Mark brings up a good point. This idea of that there have always been those who have looked at the EU as this isn't real Star Wars. Um, that Star Wars was the films and the EU uh, diverts from it too much. Therefore, this isn't real. Um, I mean, you're always going to have segments within fandom who are fans primarily of the classic trilogy or the prequels or the EU, or hell, even the Clone Wars at this point. 
I think a lot of it comes down to the age gap that's out there. It's or or a fandom duration gap, I guess. It depends on what got you into Star Wars. What is the core of your fandom? Uh, for me, I mean, I'm 34 years old. I was relatively young uh, when I first got into Star Wars. I mean, my mom took me to see The Empire Strikes Back. I, apparently, when I was a baby, which I wouldn't do these days because babies in theaters piss me off. Um, but seeing Return of the Jedi when I was old enough, actually, to remember it um, was very cool. It was a, a, a formational experience for me, or a formative experience. Um, and it was playing with Star Wars toys while re-watching over and over again the Star Wars films on VHS that made the difference for me. And when I say watching on VHS, I'm not talking about we bought these things. Um, not those really, really early pre-1990 VHS versions of the Star Wars films um, that weren't in box sets yet. I'm talking about... You know, it's the 1980s. We had HBO, so we had a videotape that had a recording of The Empire Strikes Back, then Return of the Jedi, then From Star Wars to Jedi, The Making of a Song. I can't tell you how many times I rewatched those over and over again and how long it took for me to be able to have a copy that I owned of A New Hope instead of catching it when it was on TV. Um, and then came, you know, 1992. And that's when I got that uh, widescreen set, that first letterbox collector's edition set of the films on VHS that had been widescreen for the very first time, um, and started watching them even more. And around that time, we only had a year or two of the EU out there. I mean, by by the end of 92, what you got? Uh, Dark Empire, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, uh, and the first three books of the Jedi Prince series. That's just about it as far as new stuff. Um, unless you want to count, I, I think classic Star Wars had launched at that time, reprints in the old newspaper strips. Um, so to me, by then, I was a fan of Star Wars, kind of born and bred, ingrained in me. So that feel of the classic trilogy, that was what my Star Wars was. And since then, it's been a matter of seeing the expansion of that and those characters. And then came 99 uh, and the prequels. And this idea essentially that Star Wars has changed tenor. Um, in a lot of ways. The prequel, I mean, A Phantom Menace made it goofier. The marketing blitz certainly did nothing to show an integrity of Star Wars with that so much as a let's make money in every way possible. I mean, I think that, uh, that candy that was Jar Jar Binks with his tongue sticking out where you were supposed to basically eat the tongue is a pretty good example of that ridiculousness. Um, and over time, as we got to Attack of the Clones and into the Clone Wars, eventually to Revenge of the Sith, the tenor got darker and darker, more sci-fi than sci-fi fantasy, um, significantly darker in things like Shatterpoint and Traitor and the way the Clone Wars stuff played out prior to the cartoon series. And then the tenor changed again as it went more towards, we want to bring back sort of a spirit of Star Wars that's more fun, so let's bring in these new stories that are not as steeped in the EU, but also not as dark to bring in new readers. And hey, here's this Clone Wars cartoon series designed to bring in a new generation of children to see this and hopefully appeal to adults as well. The tenor keeps changing. And I think part of it is how you feel about Star Wars is about where that tenor is in relation to what you grew up with as sort of your Star Wars. Not what you like so much as what formed the core of how Star Wars connected with you in the first place. So that's why I think, for instance, that you know if there is a reboot and we get something new that is good, and recaptures the spirit of Star Wars from, say, the classic trilogy, I think that will go a long way towards getting people who, uh, for whom the EU is what they want to hang on to, will possibly open up the door to them being willing to accept whatever's coming that's new. Um, but every time Star Wars changes, there are people who leave. And when the prequels came out, there were people who said, screw it, I'm done with Star Wars, George Lucas has raped my childhood. When the Clone Wars came out, screw it, I'm done, they've screwed up those three years of storytelling, I'm out of here, I'm not going to watch the Clone Wars, I'm not going to read anything, Star Wars is dead to me now, and so forth. 
Um, it's about what you like, what you care about the most, what tenor of Star Wars you'd prefer. And I know we're not going to reach that. We're not going to reach everybody because, I mean, just by itself, this show appeals to a very specific type of fan. Um, EU fans. If you're listening to this show and you don't like the expanded universe, I'm not sure why you're here. Um, and that means that we're going to have all the extremes within the EU audience. Those who love the idea of a reboot, hate it, are okay with it, are positive about it, are negative about it, are simply wary about it, who are simply sitting there waiting and seeing. Um, what I think we try to do, or at least what I try to do, and you mentioned that it's sort of intellectually honest or not, um, was your phrase that you used. It's sort of, it's not so much about, uh, about trying to get people to be okay with it because we don't know what's coming next. Now, we don't know. I mean, I'm not going to be a cheerleader for something that we haven't seen yet. Um, but at the same time, we don't know that it's going to all doom and gloom. We don't know what's going to happen to the EU as it exists right now, so we can't really be all entirely negative about it. Um, what I want to do is, from the intellectual honesty standpoint, be able to remind people that there hasn't been a decision made yet as far as we know, at least nothing released. We don't know what's going to be the case with the story and such for the sequel trilogy. We don't know what's going on with Rebels beyond, you know, character names and stuff that we wind up seeing from Lego release advertisements and such. Hell, we don't even know what's coming in Clone Wars Season 6, which is idiotic because the weekend this episode is being released, they're airing, they're starting to air Season 6 of the Lost Missions or whatever they're calling them in Germany, and we still don't know what they're going to be doing for the U.S. What I think we're trying to avoid is the knee-jerk reactions to say... I mean, if you want to have a reaction of saying, well, if the EU may be dead, I'm done with Star Wars, okay, I mean, that's your prerogative and all, um, but why not wait and see what happens, and why not make the decision based on facts once they are in evidence, rather than making it based on facts not in evidence? Um, that it's about trying to not so much be positive about what we can't say for sure is going to be positive, so much as being optimistic and being willing to be open to change with the hope that that change will be positive, even if there's a lot of fear underneath that it won't be. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's nothing I would say that I necessarily disagree with in what Andrew said. It's just sort of a, uh, to put it in perspective, yeah, there's a part of the audience that we're not going to reach like that. But for those who are on the line, those who are on the border of freaking out versus not, hopefully we can provide some measure of objectivity that keeps those people for being overly stressed about something that not only can we not control, but we don't even know what's going to happen anyway, just yet. Now, we're going to end up having to split this feedback segment into multiple episodes. We have 13 pages of fan feedback from you guys, and I don't even think we've made it through the first two pages. Oh, no, uh, no. We're, we, we are at, uh, we have reached the middle of page nine out of 14. Okay, well, all right, maybe it'll only be two episodes we end up breaking this up into. But the point here is, Nathan, so Nathan mentioned a bombshell email that we'll be playing at the end of the episode. It'll be at the end of the next or the one after that, depending on how many we end up stretching it out. Uh, you know, we were hoping to get it all into this one. It'll probably be into two. If we get a little long-winded, you'll see three. But that bombshell one will be at the end of all the feedback. Uh, it's pretty big. And before we go out, uh, Nathan, did you have any more contest details you wanted to give before we uh, wrap up? Well, we have just uh, given away the Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void novel. The winner of that one was Kev Kane, or Kevin Kane. Um, at this point, as of the time that you're hearing this episode, the one for the other signed copy of Greater Good should have just ended, because that's going to end on uh, February 14th. But there is still one giveaway that is out there, one of the big ones, 
up until February 21st, which gives you about a week after this episode comes out. Uh, and that is if you want to win a, a, a signed Star Wars Tales number 21 Equals and Opposites comic pack. That's the one where they took my story, Equals and Opposites, from Star Wars Tales 21, pulled it out, gave it a, a slightly different cover. It's just that story in the comic now instead of that one among three. Um, and then it has the Kyle Katarn figure and Yuzhan Vong warrior figure based on the characters as they appear in that comic. Uh, it is still sealed, though whoever wins it, I can either sign the bubble for them, or as in the case of the previous one, open it up, sign the comic, and then kind of package everything nicely together and send it on out there where it's not sealed anymore, but the comic itself is signed rather than the package. Um, you can enter this one all the way up through the 21st of February, and it's only after that we'll start talking about the things to try to do something with those cards that I've got that we can sign, those uh, Star Wars Action News cards that are of me from that, plus uh, the cards that tie into the Wars stories and such. But to enter to win Equals and Opposites comic pack number two, I'm going to send an email to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com, put your name and address in the body of the email, and make the subject line either Equals and Opposites 2 or Comic Pack 2. Either of those will work, and I will be drawing a winner for that on the 21st, or I guess technically the 22nd, because I want to wait until midnight for all the entries to come in there. And you will hear about the winner of the Greater Good copy a couple episodes from now, in case we go ahead and cover some more of our uh, feedback recording at the same time, but split it across a couple of weeks here and such. But the winners are coming for the last two uh, Nathan as author signed fangs in the near future. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, as well as on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Our own home one, if you will. We love the fact that we got so many of you Beyonders there and they're continuing to help that community grow. Uh, not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore. You can explore the EU or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that our listenership will start to fall apart if they do reboot things. Oh, crap! <sighs> well, I think the odds are pretty good that I may just be done with Razor's Edge by the time we get done with all these pre-programmed episodes. <laughs> <laughs>